Our series is called Undivided, and it puts us in this space between the power and the private. What happens there? Well, what happens there is all kinds of things that we can stand for, right? That's our series. Today, we're, we're talking about standing for common ground. One of the books I read in preparation for this over the summer was a book by Ben Sass called Them, them, why we hate each other and what to do about it. <laughs> Just pretty blunt, right? And, uh, and one of the things that I, I, I gleaned from, from uh, Senator Sass's book is that we put so much emphasis on politics and not enough on civics. To be in that public space and not to be all about power and politics, but not just to keep our faith private. We have an incredible opportunity for influence. But if you, if you think of that category of being a citizen, right? To being a citizen. This is the key to this series is to see ourselves first as citizens of a, of a kingdom that's bigger than the United States. And it's, it's that orientation to a bigger kingdom that we want to talk about this morning. To be able to be people out in public who are oriented to a, a bigger framework than just us and them. You can be for all kinds of things. You can be against all kinds of things. But what characterizes us as people of a bigger kingdom is how standing for creates common grace and common ground and works for the common good. You know, it, it, every election cycle is like this. And you say, this is always now, I, I'm old enough that I've heard this a number of times, that this is the election. This is the one, right? And and every, now I'm not trying to say that there are not consequences to elections or that this is no big deal. I'm not, don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is we need a bigger picture here, people. We need a bigger picture. Every time there's a new election, it's framed up because you have to engage the populace. You have to engage what? They're thinking? No. You have to engage their emotions. And what emotions are the most powerful emotions to get people to vote a particular way? Anger and fear. And so you're always going to get change or the apocalypse, all right? That's what's going to happen. You, you, you vote for this person, it's going to be change. You vote for that person, it's going to be the apocalypse. And, uh, and, and if, you don't, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't recognize that, you know, that, that everything hinges upon this vote, then either you're not going to get change and you're going to be angry or the apocalypse is coming and you should be afraid. And, and this is where we find ourselves. And, you know, it's always this way, but I think it's much worse uh, in this election cycle because I think this is the first time where people are so locked down with their social media accounts, right? And so fear and anger, the apocalypse and change... It's being echoed and echoed and echoed. We need to be first and foremost citizens of a bigger kingdom that know what we stand for, for common ground. From the Word of God, John chapter 13, 
starting with verse 31, going through verse 38. Would you open your Bibles and follow along? We're going to be hitting particularly the first two verses and then verse 34, 35. Hear God's word this morning. When he had gone out, Jesus said, that, that is when Judas had gone out, all right? So Judas had gone. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's now talking to them, the 11. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children. Yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, you will, lay, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's word. May God add his blessing today to us through his word. Let us pray. God bless us now, indeed, through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So how, how, how is the word today? That's the question. How do we create common ground? As I have loved you, Jesus says. Now, you say, well, as it love? That's how we create common ground? It sounds a little soft, right? I mean, every time we, I mention the word love, I, I have to deal with the connotations of, of our, our common connotations of this word and the way it's been battered around. When you hear love, you hear love songs, you hear frilly things, you hear something schmaltzy maybe, you hear something sentimental. And maybe you even see the context that Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. And you think, that's going to make a difference? But you need to see sort of a Mike Rowe kind of episode here, a dirty job, right? Not just the dirty job, you know, you know Mike Rowe, dirty jobs, you've seen that, all right? See? This is where I'm challenged. Behind the mask is somebody snickering. One person in here is laughing that I mentioned Mike Rowe. Dirty jobs, all right? So Jesus has just done this dirty job. And he's anticipating something much more serious. See, he's saying, as I have loved you, just as the way I've demonstrated love for you, I've served you. I've humbled myself and put myself on the level of a servant. He's about to do that in a much bigger way. And they're going to connect the dots later, and we're connecting the dots this morning. Love is not something soft. Love is willing the good of the other. Love is willing the good of the other. To will the good, no matter what, for all. That's where we're going this morning. Willing the good, no matter what, for all. First, Jesus wills our good. He wills our good by being 
loyal to the will of God and not our own will. And think about that for a minute. A lot of times, the person in front of you wants something, and you think, oh, out of compassion, I need to give it to them. Is that always loving? See, you have to have a bigger point of reference. Jesus is talking about the glory of God, that God... That God's glory is ultimately where our point of reference is. That needs to frame everything that we do. And so when you're doing something, when you're doing something, you're taking your will and you're, you're, you're activating it, right? You're taking your, the force of your life and the energy and you're, you're directing it at something. And so when you're willing the good, you have to recognize that there needs to be something bigger than loyalty to, to the person you're helping. Listen, as an example, a parent whose child wants dessert but not veggies, right? Classic example, right? The parent, in order to love, needs to make sure that the parent does not want to be a buddy but a parent, right? I don't want my child to to hate me. I don't want my child to dismiss me. I don't want my child to feel distant and and alienated from me. So I'm just going to give them whatever they want, right? This is not good. This is not willing the good for your child. Okay, you have dessert. You have two desserts. You have three desserts. Forget your peas. Forget your broccoli. Go ahead. Have whatever you want. Is that love? No, it's to will the good and to see a bigger, bigger framework here. Take a more serious example. Uh, the spouse of an alcoholic. That's tough. It's a tough situation where you have to speak up or you have to draw lines or you have to, you have to create boundaries. You have to name things. You have to say what is true and what is false in an increasingly toxic and, and deceptive relationship. But it's to will the good. Verses 31, 32, Jesus says this, look. Now is the Son of Man glorified. What? Through the cross? Yeah, through the will of God, through Jesus' trust, that that there's something bigger at work here. That that, that, That in obeying the will of God, that God is sovereign. That He's at work. That, 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 In this act of obeying the will of God, something is possible that would not otherwise have been possible. Because Jesus is trusting the will of God, because his point of reference is the glory of God, he is able to direct his life and energy and will for the good. And not just to constantly be on some popularity contest or constantly trying to bend to one person's needs or another person's needs. And if I had a stick, I'd take a knife and I'd say he would just whittle himself away. And that's often how we think of love. But Jesus is saying, to will the good is to line up with the will of God, not the will of the person in front of me. Now, when somebody comes to you and talks about somebody else and and, uh, they want to... They want your emotional support. They want your feedback. They want your guidance and counsel. All right, so picture yourself. That person has come to you. A lot of times we, we sort of feel like there's this unspoken social contract, like you're on my side, right? Huh? Isn't that right? Isn't it right? You're not nodding your heads. Of course, you've, you've been there. It's like you kind of feel this pressure. It's like, oh, they've come to me. They're trusting me. They're uh, trusting my confidence, and I'm supposed to be on their side. 
Is that willing their good? Is that loving them? You know, sometimes this is really risky if you say, well, you know, if you kind of push back and you say, well, have you looked at it this way? You know, I, I've, I've talked to this person. I, I think it, it might be good for you to give them the benefit of the doubt. They might think, well, you're taking the other person's side, right? But no, you're saying there's a North Star here, and I'm going to help orient you to what's good and right and true. And you can trust me because when, when you leave the room and the other person comes in, I'm still looking at the North Star. I'm not looking at them. I'm not looking at you and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that person's a jerk. And then the other person comes in, oh, yeah, 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 that person's a jerk. You know, it's, 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 it's to have a bigger picture, a bigger framework to will the good for each person that's in front of you. You see how this works? Now you know this is someone who really loves you. The wounds of a friend are faithful. That's what, how Solomon puts it. So you can create safe harbor for somebody. You can be somebody that doesn't judge them. You can be somebody who, who cares for them and who listens to them and reflects back while at the same time bringing a bigger picture that we're loyal to the truth, we're loyal to God, we're loyal to the glory of God. We're under his authority, and we're not just sitting here trying to find truth in each situation according to loyalty to our own individual wills. You see, that's what it looks like to will the good. To will the good is to seek the will of God, not the will and loyalty to the will of each person in front of us, or our own will. Are you with me now? See, this is, this is crucial to, to be able to move on. You have to understand, what does it look like to love, right? Not the 1970s uh, ballad, you know, kind of love song, long hair with the zipper you know, kind of cut uh, sort of uh, view of love. Not this mushy kind of stuff. We're talking about taking your life and your energy and your will and directing it according to the North Star, the will of God, at other people's lives in such a way that you know it's their good because it's the will of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 31 and 32. That the glory of God is ultimate. And no matter what's coming, he is sovereign. And so when I am lined up with his will, I am doing your good. You see? A.W. Tozier, old Canadian pastor, long since passed away. He said, a thousand pianos tuned to one fork are in tune with each other. Now that's the picture of as I have loved you. When we're in tune with this new command, we create common ground. We're in tune with each other. And we have something we have a special sauce, right? So I'll be Patty's special sauce, little cheese, pickles, onion, jelly. We have that special sauce out in that public space between the powerful and the private. We have a special secret sauce to will the good is to be folded into this new command. Now let's take a look at what that looks like. What does that look like, that new command, to operate that way? Well, it's a no matter what kind of love. It's a will of God kind of love, yes, but it's a no matter what kind of love. What's no matter what kind of love? Unconditional love. Unconditional. No matter what. The other person is, 
you know, uh, misbehaving. The other person is not reciprocating. No matter what kind of love is the kind. Otherwise, all you have, the only alternative is indifference or a crazy cycle, right? Crazy cycle. You know, Emerson Egrix wrote this book uh, called Love and Respect. Great book for, uh, for couples. Um, and he says, you know, you're either in an energy cycle where you're kind of reinforcing each other and encouraging and affirming each other. You're in a negative crazy cycle where you're trying to chase each other for what you want. And see, apart from unconditional love, apart from no matter what kind of love, you're going to end up in the Middle East, in the crazy cycle. Century after century after century, hit and hit back, hit and hit back. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, blind and toothless generations. Right? But we're called to a new command. How is it new? As I have loved you. A completed picture. As I have loved you, so you are to have love for one another. Now, let's just imagine. I want to do a little thought experiment this morning. I just want you to imagine. It's kind of quirky, kind of crazy. But, uh, but I want you to imagine that somebody uh, comes from another planet. All right? Aliens come from another planet, and they're able to talk with us, and they come down, and they say, you know, you people are a mess. You are divided. And you know what? We're going to wipe you out because I, I don't think there's any hope for you, all right? You're just too divided, and, and you know what? We've evolved. We're, we're beyond all this, and, and, uh, and, and, and we're going to take over this planet, and we're going to resettle it, and we're going we're to make everything right, but I, I don't think there's any room for you because, you know, you're just so crossed up with each other. You can't even... You, you, even, you know, even something as small as, well, fill in the blank. I'm thinking of something in particular. I bet you can guess. Even something as small as that, you're just at each other's throats. Like, you're taking these hard positions here and here, and it's like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. And here is this alien saying, tell me one person in history that, that, we're redecorating back there. Pay no mind to the guy behind the curtain, Okay. Imagine that alien is saying, tell me one person in human history that can begin to help me see there's something different about you, something worth saving. Now, for, for us, we, we can quickly answer that question, right? We know the answer to that question. You're in church, you're Christians, you know the answer to that question. So if I ask, ask the question, who would that person be, right? But imagine you're out in the marketplace and you're having this conversation with somebody. Now imagine trying to explain why Jesus makes such a difference. What is the difference? And this is what I would say. And this is what we see in this passage. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. And this is the new command. And what is that? What is that thing? What is that special sauce? What is that secret sauce that makes things so different? What is the hope for humanity? You see, what happened with Jesus is he was the best of us that when treated like the worst of us, treated in turn the worst of us like the best of us. Have you ever thought about that like that? Jesus was the best of us, the very best of us. And when we treated him like the worst of us, he then treated the worst of us like the best of us. And then he says to his disciples, not broadcast all over the world, 
Not, you know, hey, I'm, I'm hooked up with uh, Elon Musk and I've got uh, satellites and we're going to get this thing going. He just says life on life on life on life on life on life. Go and do this. Be these kind of people. Love as I have loved you. And you know what? I'm going to read to you a quotation from a historian who was not really a Christian until he started looking at Christianity and the history of what happened starting with this new command. Tom Holland said, I realized something. Tom Holland, a British historian, wrote a book called Dominion. I mentioned it earlier in the summer. I'm going to read you a quote from it now. And I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm reading this quote because this is where Tom really began to say, you know what, I'm a Christian. He said, I don't identify with the world as it was before Christianity, before the cross, before the new command. I identify with the world as it is possible now. And he says this, the values of Leonidas, he's sort of picking something like the king of Sparta, right? The, the, the Greek king. And he's looking at Rome, and he's looking at these great old figures of power, and he's saying, this is the order of the world before Christ. And he's saying, the values of Leonidas, whose people had practiced genocide, were nothing what that I recognized as my own. Nor were those of Caesar, who was reported to have killed a million Gauls, it was not just the extremes of callousness that unsettled me, but the complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Makes me think of a text we got yesterday from one of Beth's friends whose daughter uh, has Down syndrome, and she was elected to, by her peers, to the homecoming court. What a beautiful moment. I just, I love that. There's something that resonates with you about that, isn't it? Isn't there? I mean, that's the new world order. That's the new command. The intrinsic worth of every human soul. He goes on, he says, the examples of abuse of the weak and the powerless are widely known, like the widespread abandonment of baby girls and refuse dumps. Over time, the moral principles of Christianity became so deeply embedded within European societies that the greatest abuses of ancient Rome and Greece became unthinkable. They're unthinkable to us today. Why? Because of gatherings like this who are trying to form around a new command. Form and be reformed. And so you can say to your alien friends, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how the best of us was treated like the worst of us. And in turn, he treated the worst of us like the best of us. And he's calling us to the same thing. And we're not there yet. But that's the new world order. And we're on our way. And it's happening. And the planet is different because of it. So that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. Verse 34. Look at it again. Just look at it. Let's sink in. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. No matter what kind of love. Willing the good under God, under the will of God, no matter what, 
Now, finally, for all and not just for some. For all and not just for some. That means for the whole and not just for the part. For God so loved the church. For God so loved the United States. For God so loved the Republican Party. For God so loved the Democratic Party. For God so loved what? The world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. See, our message, this new world order, this, this uh, Romans 8, the law of the spirit of life. You ever wonder about what that means? There is therefore now no, 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 no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, Jesus completed the law. And he calls us, he says, now there is a power that wasn't available to you before because justice has been served and now you are empowered to pay it forward. To take what has been done to you and for you as new motivation that changes human interaction out here between the power and the private for the whole and not just the part. You see, it's done. And now, when we receive it, when we believe it, we have a new motivation. We have a new power. MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., he understood the special sauce. He understood the secret sauce of Christianity. This powerful motivation, as I have loved you, so you are too. He understood it. I love these couple of quotes from him. He says, injustice anywhere, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Not just the part, but the whole. He had a vision for the whole. So when he stood up for the part, when he stood up for one group, he said, I'm speaking for a better whole. Right? This is part of what it takes. You, your methods even then, when you see that, your methods, the way you approach injustice then, has the whole in mind, all in mind. And so the way we approach injustice, the way we approach justice, even our methods carry that special sauce, that, that special Touch, the salt and light touch of as I have loved you. Verse 35, look at this again. By this, by what? By your loving others as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know by this that you are my disciples. Who will know that you're my disciples? All people. By what? By loving others as I have loved you. So that in your methods, when your methods line up with as I have loved you, guess what? We're operating not first and foremost as Republicans or Democrats. As Americans even, we're operating as citizens in a bigger kingdom. The kingdom of God. Our first loyalty to the will of God. Willing the good of others for the whole and not just the part. You see, this is... What Jesus is saying. Here's another um, 
Here's another quotation I love from MLK. He says, you know, we may have come here by bit on different boats. Think of that. Pinta, Nina, Santa Maria versus the ships, the slave ships. We may have come here by different boats, but we're all in the same boat now. See, he had a picture of the whole, even the broken whole. And he had a picture of, of the kingdom of God powerfully motivating us. And so, as Nietzsche says, take care lest, when in fighting the dragon, take care lest you become the dragon you think you're fighting. You see, the way we, the way we pursue a more perfect union, the way we pursue what we're for out here in the public space, the way we do it, the method, must carry the message. Let me close with this, World War II. This is un- unbelievable. I, just incredible to me. You think of two different, uh, two different churches, all right? So there were churches that, that responded to Hitler's order to fall in line, and there were churches that did not respond to Hitler's order to fall in line. Now imagine them getting together after the war. Oh, you all fell in line with the Fuhrer, and we stood strong. How are those people ever going to get along? You think things are divided here? Imagine that. Can you imagine getting together at that conference? Oh, okay. We're going to get together with those people that, that just simply fell in line with the Fuhrer and with Nazism? We're, get, we're supposed to get together with them? When the war was over, the feelings of bitterness ran deep between the two groups. and There was much tension. <laughs> That's an understatement. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. For several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in light of Christ's command. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, that you all should know, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? This was the answer. We were just one. He replied, as they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. That's amazing. That's a new command. That's not a schmaltzy love. That's willing the good under God, the whole, not the part. God, help us to love as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.